Hi, Paul. Hello. How you doing? Excellent. How are you? Yeah, this will be uh, this will be streamed on on the Facebook members group. Oh, so don't join us. Okay. All right. I'll yeah. switch over. Thanks. See ya. No problem. See ya. Good morning. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Good timing. Uh, pardon me? I good timing. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> so how have you guys been? I've uh, been pretty good. Uh, it's uh, the first couple of weeks were rough, but then now it's I've been able to do quite a bit of work through telehealth. So it's gotten I'm pretty busy. Yeah, how about you guys? Uh, ditto, I guess. I mean, we're probably not uh, uh, probably not as busy as you, I'm assuming, but uh, you know, things are going. Things are going, yeah. Rob is super busy. Like, his days just fly by, so he hardly has any time for anything. But, um, yeah, so mm. I guess everyone's hit a little bit differently, right? Very much so. Uh, all right, so I'm just going to, uh, basically we can stream this live on Facebook, so I'm just going to set this up and then we'll, uh, we'll get going. Okay, if I want to uh, share something on my screen, I've never done it before, so I'm just not sure how to do that. Do you, on the bottom of your screen, have a little green button that just says share screen? Okay, at the top it says share content. Uh, I guess so. It's on my iPad, so... Okay, yeah, probably. I'm just, I'm on a laptop, but it's probably, yeah. Should I try that right now, or? Uh, sure. I'm pretty sure all of this ends up on the live stream, so feel free. Okay. Mm. Only the host can share. Oh, it says only the host can share in this meeting. Um... Are those things that you need to share? Or can we just talk about it? Like, is that it? Yeah, I know. I can just talk about it. I can just show stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is just set up here. I think we are on. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook definitely goes back, and part of this has already been recorded, so. Okay, perfect. Oh, well. All right, so um, good morning, whoever is here, or good afternoon, I guess, uh, depending on when you when you end up watching this. Um, we are here currently April 17th, um, and we've got uh, what, I've, what I've come to know as the running guru in the area. Uh, Francine, it's also her birthday, so happy birthday, Francine. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Um, I figure we might as well kind of use your expertise and um, and help people out here. I would assume, and this is coming from a little bit of experience with um, with reaching out to people during this time, that a lot of people who aren't necessarily um, you know, obviously who are missing the gym, but aren't necessarily jumping in on classes. A lot of people, what I'm hearing are they are starting to run. Either either starting to run uh, for the first time or getting back into running. But it seems to be a pretty common thing that, you know, if you don't have equipment, um, you know, and you can't get to the gym, obviously right now, people are getting it running. Um, I'm wondering if we could start with just basic guidelines for someone who wants to start running um, you know, it's been the whole winter. They haven't been doing any running. Maybe they've never really run consistently. Um, what are some kind of main pointers that they should be considering in terms of maybe gear, uh, maybe choosing how often or how much to run? Uh, whatever kind of guidance you would give to somebody who's just starting running. Okay. So basically gear is pretty simple. It's uh, depending weather, dependent obviously for your what you want to wear on your body. Um, but typically, uh, well, at this time of year, any, anything above 10 degrees, when it hits 10, you typically can run in shorts and t-shirt. Uh, but that's just, <laughs> depends, I guess, how fast you're running. But the, the shoes is mostly what people kind of want to talk about a little bit more, and we can get into more detail about that. But honestly, just to keep things really simple for the shoes, and I can give more details, is you want it. It, it's, it, it is specific to the individual runner. The younger you are, the more freedom you have in, to play with the type of shoe you might pick. So if you've never been injured and you're fairly young, sort of like not like me, but like in your 20s, or <laughs> um, you definitely want a flexible, minimalist type shoe, right? So if, if that's all good and, and you would start running with that. And as you age and perhaps acquire some injuries, then it gets a little trickier. And so, and I, and I can send people to a, a good website to sort of determine what is a good running shoe for you. And um, I was hoping to be able to share some slides, but I can always just uh, send reference that after. Um, and it kind of runs you through like, you know, yes or no questions. Uh, and then it helps you select a running shoe. But we can talk more specifically about running shoes, but honestly, you just need a pair of shoes. Uh, pair of socks most people need and then uh, some a t-shirt and some shorts right now is yeah about it and then and then maybe first is the first step for someone you know determining what their goal is for running or what what should they be doing first thing well the first thing is if you've so so going back to your question if you're a beginner runner or not really experienced at all in running the the most important thing that you need to do is to take it easy and so similar to what we would do in CrossFit, if you've never done anything before, you're not starting with, you're starting with a training bar, right? And you're starting with no weight or minimal weight and just learning the movements. The same thing goes for running. You would start very minimally as little as, and this surprised a lot of people, but it's only three minutes of running on your first run. So, and that is, that is done in intervals. So one minute run, one minute walk times three. So that would take you six minutes to complete uh, that sort of first session. If that goes well, you can repeat it or you can move on to four sets of that. So that would be eight minutes on your second run. And then you would go to 10 minutes. That's how slow a runner needs to start running. Um, 
and we can get into reasons why and what sort of that a little bit later on but definitely slow is the key um, because that load is very high in running because running when you do, when you break down the movement of running is really you're jumping from one leg to the other so that means all of your body weight if you weigh 200 pounds it's 200 pounds on one leg and then 200 pounds on the other and so the two things that matter is body weight and speed for running. Mm -hmm. So body weight, speed and repetition, I guess I should say those three things. And so the lighter you are, the easier, the lighter you are on your tissues as well. So, you know, like the fast marathon runners look very thin for a reason. And so that helps for sure. And then when you start off, you start by providing less repetitions of that hopping. So that's why you wouldn't do so many repetitions. Um, and so that, and then the speed makes a difference because the speed would be how I would compare to sort of for a CrossFitter saying, like, if I start by, um, you know, deadlifting 200 pounds, I might get hurt if I'm not strong enough to do that. But if I start by deadlifting 30 pounds, um, I probably won't get hurt. So speed is like adding more weight to your body. So because you're jumping a little bit higher and you're landing a little bit further. So that adds more load to your system again. Yeah. If so, my mindset, if you know me at all, is very. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go until I can't go. Um, and I know that there are there are a lot of people at the gym who have a similar mindset. So listening to, hey, you should do one minute on and one minute off for three sets. For someone like myself who's very competitive, sounds. Sure, maybe that's great for day one, but that sounds a little slow for me. So if, if I'm the type that, you know, how do I know if I'm on track? Am I waiting for injury? Am I waiting? Am I just, hey, work out until you're tired. If you don't feel pain, continue on. So if I want to modify or modulate the rate at which I'm increasing volume or speed or time, is there a way that I can kind of just listen to my body or should I follow a, a set program? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. So if we're talking about you who, you know, you do CrossFit, so you're used to that mechanical load of running would be different than if I'm talking to a swimmer who's starting to run, right? So that they don't have a lot of loading in their system, but cross someone who jumps up on a box, jumps down from a rig, does double unders, they can load a lot and they can kind of bypass a lot of that beginning running. So again, now because of COVID-19, if people have been sitting on the couch or sitting at their desk and have not been mechanically loading their system, their risk for injury is very high right now, returning back to things like running, jumping, and those kinds of things. So for you right now, I'm assuming you've been continuing to work out. So assuming that you have been, you know, you haven't taken much time off at all. And when I mean time off is anything over two weeks would be considered more, a little bit more high risk. Um, and so you could probably start with something like 20 minutes fairly easily, I would assume, and start off with 20 to 30 minutes of running at a, a perceived exertion, like a six out of 10. If, does that make sense? Like, it's like, I could talk, but you know, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing a little bit, but I can definitely talk during my full run. So that's where you would start with a, you know, a moderate to low effort and, and then assess with running like any other sport, like anything else you do, sometimes your body doesn't talk to you till day two after that, right? So the next day, so waiting that full 24 hours. So it's not just assessing, how does my body feel when I'm out there running? I feel great. How do I feel that night? And how do I feel the next day? 
is really important to take note of. And if you're really stiff, like that, ooh, feel really stiff or something's bugging or nagging me, probably shouldn't increase from that. You know, I might want to take another day off and then I'm going to repeat that same run. And if that feels better that next day again, I'm like, okay, I got this. I'm going to go up by 10%. So that's the general rule is that 10% increase in volume. So if I run one hour week one, for example, total, then you can increase by 10 minutes that following week. That's the guidelines that we go by. And then maybe I'm setting you up for a, like a T-ball here. Um, But, you know, is... And maybe there's a couple questions in here. Obviously, you see you see a good deal of athletes, uh, oftentimes with injuries. Um, is the is the main cause of injury generally that people have ramped up in volume and intensity too quickly, or is it a technique issue? And then in that, how important is running technique? Okay, well that's a mouthful. <laughs> That's a big question. Okay, let me start with saying that um, 80% of running injuries are um, too much too soon. So it's called a repetitive strain injury. It's just that you you ramped up too quickly. So that's... Yeah. And sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but yeah, are, no. there, are there certain, so that people can self-diagnose, are there certain injuries that are often in line with the too much, too fast, and then other injuries that, so like, can I tell, oh, because I've got this chin splint or uh, uh, whatever they call it uh, beforehand, stress fractures or whatever, yeah. that's because of this reason, and because I have this injury, that's a technique thing, I do that myself. Yeah, so there are injuries that are, load dependent so too much load there are injuries that are more so like so that would be more speed there are injuries that are more repetition dependent like an it band is like i'm running just too long or too much versus like a load injury like a stress fracture like that's just too much probably speed work i'm going too fast for my mechanical capacity right now my ability to take in the load Um, And then you have range of motion injuries, just like you would in CrossFit. Like you don't have that capacity. Um, It's easy to think of for CrossFit. You just think of Rob doing an overhead squat. Like you don't have that ability to bring your arm behind you. So chances are your shoulder is going to hurt. But for runners, there is also range of motion required more. So when you think of a runner, um, if we're talking about range of motion issues is can my runner stand there and bring their leg behind them? So for CrossFit is more like a lot of legs squatting type motion. You need that running. We do, we need the opposite. So we need the leg behind you. You need to be able to stand tall and bring your arm behind you. So it's, a, so there's range of motion ish, uh, injuries. There's load injuries and repetition injuries that kind of fall into, they all blend a little bit, but some of them are a bit more, and so when I have someone come in that's injured, depending which one they fall under, I can either say, you can do speed work, but you can't do a lot of long distance versus someone else. I might say, you can't do speed work, but you can do more distance. So it does, it does change a little bit, but to kind of answer your question, I think you're also getting at like, how do I know if I'm doing something wrong or this is just running pain? Like this is just normal. So that's, that's a typical question I get. And it's just, you know, your pain should be, if you're limping, it's too much, something's wrong. So that's an obvious one. So right away, you know, check yourself in the mirror. If you're walking with a little like limp, you've done something and you're injured and take, definitely take some time off. And until you're not limping anymore, do not run. 
Um, the next thing would be if you cannot hop on one leg without wincing or feeling a pain that exceeds a three out of 10. So it's like a one or two, minutes, I feel a little bit, that's probably okay. But if it exceeds that and you're like collapsing, that's not a good thing. And anything that persists or increases in pain, you're not heading in the right direction. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, because we, I mean, obviously at the gym, we say pain bad, right? Like if your muscles are fatigued and tired and whatever, cool, but any joint pain, would that be a similar parallel? It is, it is a similar parallel, but I'm always like, so as the body ages, <laughs> appropriate to talk about that today, um, <laughs> it is inevitable um, if you have a human body to not experience pain as you age and as you try to stay active. So I don't like to be fearful of pain and, you know, and still like, oh, something's ripping or something like that fear of pain and tissue destruction is probably what causes more people to not move and, and get into much worse uh, physical condition and, and increase their injury. So I think that a little bit of pain is very acceptable and needed to get out of an injury. So someone with knee pain or knee arthritis, for example, one of the best ways to get out of that is to strengthen. So naturally, initially, when you're going to start with just an air squat, for example, or a, a jog, like a one-in-one, for three, you know, three repetitions, I would be expecting you to have a little bit of pain, but I would hope that it goes away by the time you go to bed at night and the next day you feel good again. And so that, um, the way to climb out of an injury is often has a little bit of pain, but under three on 10, I'm okay with that. So, yeah. So it, pain is not, um, pain is just it's just life like it's just it's going to be there just like what how much of it is it how long does it last and uh is it manageable so yeah i think that's actually a a, a good point and common um misunderstanding within potentially the medical industry that if there's pain stop um in general you know mm -hmm. as opposed to let's try to rectify that issue and you know, then you get people who, as opposed to, you know, they, they get into the, in, into the state where, well, I'll just not exercise at all. And the way that I see it is I would always, you know, forever take a little bit of pain um, that goes along with capacity and the ability to do things then be pain free and unable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, the uh, exercise is the best way uh, to, you know, to do to recover from anything really like medication is helpful sometimes, but, um, exercise is medicine. Like you really need to move to stay healthy. And so what can your body do today? What can you do? And that's that sort of load capacity. You sometimes just have to check your ego at the door and say, you know what? I can't run a marathon this year. A lot of people just set these big goals and it's like, I want to run a marathon in the first year of running. They try to build up to that when I'm like, I want you to run three minutes on day one. You're not running a marathon in 365 days from now. You might be running a 10K if you're a beginner runner. So six, months, six months in, but I don't want you pushing the distance too much. That's maybe a, a, great, a great point for people. And 
is it is it realistic for people to know um you know what is a good goal to set running wise you know if you're coming into this without a whole lot of running experience how do you know whether hey i'm going to set a, a goal of running 5k in six months or a half marathon or a marathon or something uh longer how do, how do you know what's appropriate so uh so, uh, okay, so the first thing is if you're a beginner runner, so again, every person that comes in to see me is different and they have a different story with all these different things, right? So let's assume we have a blank canvas here, someone who's no history of injuries and they're excited and they want to start running. So I would say the first three months are sort of like that learn to run and a 5K is sort of your jam. Like that's what you should be focusing on. Once you can successfully run that 25 minutes in a row without feeling pain during at all, without feeling pain later that night or the next day, you can start attempting training for a 10K. Okay, so then that 25 minutes you reach that, okay, now I'm going to start training for 10 kilometer, which a beginner run will take them over an hour to run 10 kilometers. So you go ahead and do that. And then you use that same principle going forward, right? So once you reach 50 minutes-ish of running, you could be, I can maybe start training for a half marathon. And so it's almost like cutting the time in half, like a, a, a 10K would take an hour. So you wouldn't start training for that till you can do half of that. Right. A half marathon is 21 kilometers. It takes people usually over two hours to do it. So you shouldn't start training for one unless you can do an hour of consecutive running without feeling any issues. And then you've got your marathon distance, which is usually four and a half hours for a beginner runner, or, or most runners are crossing the finish line in four and a half hours. So you would say, you know, two hours, um, I got to be able to run that before I should register or start training for a marathon and that you're not in pain when you do it. So that's the, that's the important part. I think that's a wonderful general guideline that you can run. <laughs> half the time that it's a that it, that it will take you that, that you assume it'll take you to run that yeah. race then you are eligible to start training that's right that's right yeah Great. and so i know this is um this may be challenging because everybody is is different and obviously the best way to assess and train the technique would be to watch somebody and give them specific uh movement fixes and whatnot but are there some general running technique guidelines that you can give as an overall? I know that uh, at least personally, and, and I was chatting with another coach recently talking about, uh, you know, the concept of, of a heel strike versus a midfoot and, and where your foot should be in relation to and what should that feel like? Uh, can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing, I sort of got interested in running biomechanics about 12 years ago. Just because I, I mean, right now I'm not considering myself a runner because I'm the injured runner that can't, you know, get out of this injury cycle. But um, I used to run a lot and that's, I, you know, I started running when I was 13. So it really was my passion. So I started delving into running biomechanics because when I graduated from physiotherapy, from my physiotherapy program 20 years ago, I, um, they, they didn't teach anything like that about specific biomechanics for different sports and so I delved into that and that's what sort of brought me to all these years of sort of like dedicating you know geeking out on running biomechanics and it has changed a lot and there's a lot of different things and different opinions out there but there is sort of some consensus to a few things about running biomechanics and so I'll touch on those again everybody is a little bit different and so and depending like when you look at somebody standing sometimes you you know like 
we'll use Rob as an example. Like when he's standing, he's bow-legged, right? Like his feet are together and you could like drive a truck between his legs, right? So he's like that where I'm not going to name anybody, but some people are the opposite. They're like knock knee. They have that valgus sort of alignment in their, in their legs. So there's going to be some biomechanical differences for those people that are going to show up for sure. Um, but in general, so if we're talking about just again, a, a perfect canvas, you know, so um, what I'm going to want to see as far as biomechanics, because it does, it does change your mechanical load. So when we, when you asked earlier about injury, how it relates to injury, it can relate to injury because if I run with a certain type of biomechanics, I'm going to load my system a lot more. So let's focus on those things. So the first thing I'll look at is how many steps per minute is my runner taking? So that's called cadence. So when I, when I watch my runner run on the treadmill, I just use this little app and I press every time they land. And so it measures their cadence or you can just count it out loud. And some people have fancy watches that measure cadence as they run. So um, that's something that's really important. And in general, so for, for running, we're not talking about sprinting. So sprinting is sort of under the 3000 meter that let's let that, that's like sprinting, like track and field. And so let's talk about running. So that's anywhere from, you know, running like a eight minute, um, eight kilometers an hour. So six miles per hour or six minutes a kilometer ish, or even, even slower than that. You can, yeah, six miles per hour or five miles per hour to all the way up to 10 miles per hour. So that's where most of the people I'll see 10 miles an hour, you're running three minutes a kilometer. So if that gives you an idea. So when we covered that, the cadence, the normal cadence should start somewhere around 170 and finish at 190. So I, my runner who's running five miles an hour should be running about 170 steps per minute. And then my runner who's running three, like 10 miles an hour, so three minutes a kilometer, should be going about 190 steps per minute. How, how based on stride length is that though? You mean how much is it based on the leg length? The yeah. length of the runner? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, how, like how tall. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the taller runners will obviously have a slower cadence, but it shouldn't be much slower than that. So like, let's say like 168, so you can give them a couple of like steps lower than that, so 168, 167. But that, so your taller runner will be there. Me as a short runner, I don't like to go below 178, even at sort of those lower speeds. So I'm going to be a little bit faster because my legs are a little bit shorter, but it shouldn't deviate uh, below that too, too much. They've done some nice studies like so shin splints, for example, which is probably a popular one right now because everyone is out there running. Um, it, they've done some nice studies that if your cadence is below 168, there is a very high incidence of shin splints. And if you increase that cadence above 168, the shin splint incidence goes down. Weird. So, yeah. So there's some nice studies on cadence and how it relates to knee pain and shin splints and that type of thing. So, so I, I'll look at a runner and sometimes I see their cadence is 150, for example. And they've got knee pain or they've got shin splints. Well, it's a no-brainer, right? But what do I tell them to like artificially program themselves to do? So the rule is increase your cadence by between seven and 10% of what you feel is normal for you. So if 150 feels normal for you, you would increase by about uh, no more than 10% of that. 
So you might not start. So I'll say you'll start at 165, let's say, even though I want you at 170, eventually you'll start there. And there are, we use, um, I recommend people run with a metronome. So it's an, you can download an app and it just plays behind your music and it'll go to the beat that I've asked my runner to run at. Okay. Would you say that cadence uh, is the most important factor for technique? I would say if, if, if you told me, I just want you to tell me one thing to correct. Like if you just say, I can only handle one thing. Um, again, it would depend on what I see, because if I see somebody, you know, doing this, or if I see somebody doing this or uh, slapping and they have shin splints, um, you know, I, I probably would always start with cadence still, but there are other things that I'm like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> But I would probably always start with cadence. I think so. Yeah. That's, that's surprising. That's probably a, that's probably a, a new piece of insight for most people. I would not have guessed that. Um, so once, once we've maybe sorted out cadence, if that's number one, are there some general guidelines for positioning? You were talking about not doing this, <laughs> not doing, um, yeah. what are the things that either we should be avoiding or trying to do in the run? Yeah. Okay. So some of the other things like just basic, obviously you need to be standing, you need to be tall, feeling tall and standing tall. So posture, like anything else like CrossFit, we always focus on like, what's your body position. So a good body position is obviously not slouched like this for when you're running. So nice and tall. So mm -hmm. that postural piece. Um, the other one is that I see a lot of because runners tend to want to like take their leg and like reach out in front of them. And, you know, when you talked about heel strike versus midfoot versus forefoot. And so that reach out, well, first of all, cadence will not give you as much time to do that. So that's why cadence precedes a lot of things too. It corrects that, that tendency to like, people think they want to just stride it out. Right. When that creates a lot of load for the tissues. So so does that mean if you're, and maybe I'm being too simplistic here, if you're heel striking, it means your cadence is too low and you should pick that up? Um, much time it, to read? Yeah, it's most, most people will heel strike. Like most runners that I see are heel strikers, irrespective of their cadence. So even with good cadence, you could still very much be heel striking. Mm -hmm. So one, it's not, it's not like, because you're heel striking, your cadence is slow. But definitely if your cadence is slow, I think I've only seen, I've done hundreds of, I've done hundreds of biomechanical assessments and I think only one person was four foot striking on a low cadence. So yeah, so probably, you're probably right in assuming that if your cadence is slow, you're probably heel striking. Yeah, because you're gonna reach out further. Because the only way to like speed is determined by the amount of steps you take and how long of a step you take, right? So all we're trying to do is get you to take a few more steps per minute so that you're not over striding. So cadence is that first piece that I try to teach people. And then it's just, you're not, you shouldn't be trying to reach the ground in front of you as much as just glide underneath you and lift your leg up. So you're trying to glide and lift. Okay. So in that situation, because you kind of mentioned that they were separate, the cadence versus the heel strike. Um, you still attempt to rectify or maybe not rectify, maybe that's not the right word. Um, 
tighten up the cadence and get it where you want it first before trying to work on the heel strike, work on the, the actual technical piece of it? Yeah. So I, I've always stayed away. So back in 2007, when sort of the, the, um, the Vibram five finger shoes kind of came out, that was like a big hit back then. And this is kind of when I launched all these biomechanical assessments and it was just crazy. Like I'd have these runners come in, you know, never run, never walk barefoot or run barefoot and they're coming in these five fingers and running. And, and obviously the more your shoe is minimalist, like the more you're barefoot, you're just not going to do that. Right. Like that you're just not going to. So there are some, some thoughts out there as, the more minimalist your shoe, the more you're naturally going to have a faster cadence and the more you're just naturally going to sort of like have better running biomechanics. And I can't argue that. Like I, I agree with that. It's just that if you take an adult runner who's run in big, thick shoes and you put them in a minimalist shoe or a, or no shoe at all, hardly, um, chances are they're going to end up with Achilles tendinopathy or plantar fasciitis or a stress fracture or something of the lower part of the leg. So something's going to happen because load is transferred. It's not disappearing. It's, it's transferring somewhere else. So, 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 uh, so sorry, just, just to answer that, like I, I kind of went on a tangent there. Sorry. I, I didn't really, um, back then I wasn't sort of on board with like the forefoot midfoot. Uh, because all these things were starting to come out and I've always been more about where is your foot in relation to the rest of you? So is it completely in front of you or is it closer to your center of mass? So that to me, that's a better uh, representation of, of, of how well you're transitioning that load. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. And I think on that, on that topic, and you, you mentioned, you know, the, the Vibram five finger and the, the minimalist concept. And at the beginning of this, you spoke about, you know, as a, as a younger person, and maybe we'll use more supple uh, potentially that running with a, a minimalist shoe or running barefoot is more appropriate. And then as we age and potentially stiffen, um, you know, I think what, what I'm getting there is we're not able to absorb the force as well through our body. So that's why we have that cushion there. Is there any way of transitioning? What are the main things that we can do to get back to that place where we could run barefoot or in those minimal shoes, um, which, you know, from what you're saying there, my understanding is may even help my technique because I'm kind of forcing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a good question. And so this is what, like I'll reference after like uh, the running clinic website and there's lots of good resources on there. And there is such a thing as the minimalist index. And so it tells you how you can type in your shoe and find out where it falls on that minimalist index. So hundred percent means it's all minimalist. It's pretty much barefoot. And then 0% means it's like a maximalist shoe that has, you know, um, pro motion control and shock absorption and all this kind of stuff in there and it's got like a big big height differential between the heel and the toe so if I depends where you start right if you have a maximalist shoe so you're zero percent on that minimalist scale you need to climb your way up so you need to go from a shoe that has like that one of the one of the characteristics of a maximalist shoe it will be like it has a heel drop of 12 millimeters as opposed to zero um, on a minimalist shoe. And so you shouldn't go from 12. It sounds like nothing because it's millimeters, but you shouldn't go from 12 to zero 
Mm -hmm. right? It kind of makes sense. You would go to 10 and then eight. And then I don't know if they make sixes or four. And then like, it usually goes by two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's one characteristic. Then there's the torsion of the shoe and the sort of flexibility and that. So you, you do want to find a shoe and there's a lot more data now and a lot more information. You can just type in your shoe and find out, you know, where it falls on this kind of scale and how much does it weigh and what's the stack height and what's the this and that. So you can really geek out on shoes. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so you should definitely transition slowly over like a two month period of time. Uh, and, and really what's really important in a running shoe is that like you shouldn't pick a running shoe because you're flat footed or you over pronate all that stuff. Like when you go into a shoe store, they'll try to do that, but that's not what science shows. Uh, what science shows is your best shoe is something that doesn't stop your body from doing what it wants to do. And so no restriction from where, and it doesn't feel like it's like bugging you somewhere and you've got lots of space for your toes. There's nothing rubbing. It just feels comfortable. It feels like a pair of slippers and I can, you know, it's not stopping me. Yeah. So what I got from that is, you know, it's a, there's a spectrum of minimalist to maximalist. You want to make sure that you're working your way through there. Um, for someone like myself, and if you know me at all, I am not a gear guy, right? If I could do everything in like a pair of shorts and nothing else, that would be the way it is. Are there certain things that I can do? And maybe this is regarding mobility training or strength and stability stuff that I can do so that my body is more capable to run, you know, nearing that barefoot range, as opposed to just letting myself kind of work through the steps of shoes. Oh, yeah. um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Okay. So yeah, so that's, that's really good. <laughs> A really good point. And I was just focused on the shoes there, but yes. Yeah, so to be, and that's just in general to be able to run, like again, you know, to be able to run and sustain and not be able to get hurt. Um, you need some basic things. So, and different than CrossFit, because I make a lot of analogies because running is sort of always on my mind. Um, running is on one leg all the time. So you go, you go from your right foot and then you float. You're in the air. If you're running fast enough, anyhow, you should be in the air and then you land. So you're never on two feet. And so how are your single limb tests, right? How are your single limb, like what's your step up like? What's your single, like a pistol squat, for example? Is there a big difference right to left? Um, what's your calf raise on one side? Like how much power do you have in that? What do you look like when you're hopping on one leg? Are you falling all over the place or are you stable? Um, those kinds of things are really, really important in a runner. So that, that so like side plank as opposed to just like that prone plank or plank on one hand or on one leg, that type of thing. So those type of movements are frequent in what I prescribe for my runners is those single leg type of exercises. And also there's specific running drills um, that we do. And we do some of those that warm up at CrossFit, like those butt kicks and those running A's and those types of things are good exercise to build that capacity to tolerate that single limb uh, load. Yeah. And so, you know, with my new increase in running volume and intensity, which obviously I'm doing and I'm going to be doing, um, oh, I forgot my question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, oh, yes. Thanks, Chelsea. 
uh, <laughs> are there, you know, in order to ideally, you know, keep my trajectory positive and in being be able to increase my volume and still feel good while doing it? Are there certain warm ups or cool downs? Um, are there certain pieces that will that will help me uh, keep that progress? Uh, like what you mean, like what what you can do to ease into it? Is that what you mean? Um, no, but for, so when I decide, Hey, today I'm going to run, um, yeah. you know, should that look like, Hey, put on my stuff, go out and run. Uh, what should the lead up to that look like? How long should I be maybe doing a light warm up run or some, you know, like the run prep that we do at the gym? What should that look like? How long should that look like in terms of my, my whole training session? Okay. Warm up, what should my training be? What should my cool down look like? Right. So just as a, let's keep it super simple. So yeah, <laughs> the easiest thing for, for most runners is to just, um, people will say like, do I stretch? Do I not stretch? So let's talk about that just in one segment. If there's something that you know that on your body is super tight always, then yes, please stretch before you go out running. If you feel like, no, there's not really anything that's tight. You do not need to stretch before you go running. Um, if you are going to stretch something, obviously your calves, like that calf stretch that you do, like the typical calf stretch where you're leaning against the wall, your legs behind you, um, that's a good one to do. Hold your stretches less than 30 seconds. So don't do long one minute stretches. The research on that is once you get past that one minute, you're going to affect the reflex of your tendons. So it's not, it could be maybe more sleepy and not able to bounce for you and running is very sort of like that fast movement so keep your stretches fairly short 20 to 30 seconds um, you could stretch your calf you could stretch your quad and you could stretch your hip flexor in that sort of lunge stretch okay so those would be your basic ones that you start obviously if you're a fast runner and you're going to run really fast your hamstrings would be a good idea to stretch as well so that could be something you could do Yes. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off there. But nope. in that in that first section where we're where we're stretching, do we want do we want that to be like a static stretch, or is there more uh, more benefit in a in a in a dynamic um, kind of activation? Yeah. So in the warm up phase before an activity, you would want to if you're stiff in something, you would want to do a little bit of static. But then dynamic is usually the best. So I was saying like if you want to do like that static piece of those muscles, go ahead. And there's others, obviously you could, you know, do some rotation work for your spine and you can do some, you know, other stuff, but let's keep it simple. And then, then you would do more like of a dynamic thing. So the first thing would be, you might walk for a little bit, right? So you would make sure that you're warm a little bit, you start walking and then you would do your A's. So like, that's like the knee ups in front of you, then the butt kicks behind you. That would be probably pretty good. And if usually what I'll tell most of my runners, because when I get them to start running, they're not injured anymore. I'll just say, if you could walk sort of five minutes before you run or go very slow, just like a walk, little jog, walk, little jog for five minutes, then start running. That is also okay. So you do not need to stretch. You do not need to do dynamic stuff. If you're just jogging or running slowly, if you're running fast and you're doing sprints, then you should do a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then there are there, are there certain things post-workout uh, that I can be doing to ensure that my next workout is good and so on and so forth? 
Yeah, so again, like the same thing when you're sort of done, uh, your body's nice and warm, sometimes that's a nice time to take that longer static stretch. So those, if you did do a quick sort of scan of the body before, oh, my calf felt tight, maybe I should spend a bit of time stretching that out for longer than a minute on the left leg for some reason, let's say, or maybe I'm going to do some foam rolling on those tissues, just like checking in with all of those leg muscles. Um, the often forgotten stuff is like the rotation for the trunk. So making sure that you can do your rotation work is important as well for runners. The arms are often forgotten. So that's the other thing, but generally speaking, it's like quads, calves, hamstrings, and, um, IT band or like, like that lateral piece. So sideways going this way. Mm -hmm. So in terms of pre-workout, um, not too much necessary maybe a little bit of static if you're extra stiff a little bit of dynamic and then kind of ease into the run yeah and if you're going to be going fast obviously get a little bit more uh, intensity in the warm-up progressively warming that up and then cool down wise a little bit more static stretching especially the areas that you're generally stiff yeah exactly yeah cool um, i think there's a couple questions here on facebook i'm just going to take a quick peek okay um <laughs> There's actually a comment from Rob. He said, he, was, <laughs> he said, poor overhead squat and bow legged. I'm going for a run. <laughs> um, so he, actually, he actually commented there as well. And I think we touched on it um, just about what, what, a, what should a proper stride look like? Is it heel striking or should we focus on forefoot, which we, we got into. Yeah. Um, is there yeah. anything else you want to touch on on that? Yeah, so pro yeah, so I think we, we went on it, but we can touch base and just add a little bit. So proper running stride is obviously my runner looks like nice posture. The cadence is, like I said, 170 to 190. Those are factors I'm going to look at. Um, that my runner is landing relatively underneath their body. So that's important to me. And then when we look at sort of the trunk from a backwards view or a sideways view, so... Uh, from a sideways view, I don't want to see my runner, you know, going side to side like this. So this is a bit of a compensation. And so I think um, that in like, if I'm looking at someone's pelvis, I don't want to see it like dropping like side to side collapsing that way. Those are big important things that can lead to, you know, pain on the side of the knee or pain on the side of the hip or in the back. So that's one thing. And then the arms are surprisingly a big issue for a lot of people. So a lot of people, um, you know, they think that running is up here and it's not. So when I'm looking at my runner, the elbow should not come past the midline of the body. So the, the arm for runners is behind you. It's not in front. I mean, if you're sprinting, yeah, sure. But like for most running, it's, it's kind of just behind you. And the rotation of the trunk is minimal. So it's not this, right? Like that's not like you need to use your core and stabilize and use your arms. Yeah. Like you would use your legs. If you don't use your arms, like when we're carrying a rucksack or we're running, like we do, we see a lot more of this because we don't have the arms to help us stop that rotation. Okay, so the arms are there for really good reason. It's okay if they're out to the side of it. That's not a big deal. You just definitely want to see that there is some arm happening behind you like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, there was another question on cadence and, uh, is it, um, 
the question is best way to increase cadence, and, and I think that's a it's a good question because it's just like, hey, do you just run faster? Like, is what? Yeah. So I'm just gonna pull up my app here that I tell my runners to use. Where is it? So it's called. So if I pull it up from, can you see that orange square RT? Can you see yeah, that on there? I can see it. So run tempo, it's called. I would, that's what I tell my runners is download this app or something else that you want to do. And then you're going to put it at, let's say I say you're going to do 170. And you're going to listen to this annoying sound, <laughs> but you can play it behind your music. And you're not going to obsess about this, but you're going to try to land every time that you hear the sound. Okay. And, and you're going to try that. Let's say you typically go out for a half hour run, start with five minutes and then turn it off and just go about how you would do. So if you're making these changes, I don't want you to obsess about it and run with this new technique or new cadence for all the entire run. Cause if that's a big change again, that's how we get hurt. We've changed things too fast, right? So changes need to be done slowly as well. And so, yes, so I would say download a metronome of sorts, run to that rhythm. And again, that increasing it by 10%. If my runner was at 150, I wouldn't choose 170. I'd choose no more than 165 and say, get used to that for a few weeks and then go up to 170 and start with only five minutes of run and then try to increase slowly through the weeks. Cool. And then the last question that I've got here is about uh, cramping. So this person says, why do I always cramp on my right upper rib every time I pass a 515 pace? Think about cramping or stitches. Yeah. I mean, uh, in beginner runners, and I don't know this runner and this person, if they're a beginner runner, but if you haven't run in a long time and you're now running a lot or just running, it is very common to get those stitches. It's usually a breathing thing. So, so getting that diaphragm to sort of like, if you, if you can, uh, usually when you're running, you can think of two inhale, three exhale. So every two or three, like, so you need to exhale longer than what you would inhale. So focus on your breathing and try it to be diaphragmatic breathing, meaning you're not, you're not breathing all from up here that you're trying to breathe from your belly, breathing down low and slow. So slow down and focus on exhaling fully so that the inhale is more relaxed and then exhale more actively I guess you could say so really exhale hard the other thing could be that the person might be like tensing in the upper arms or doing something that's common right so as you jump people try it you know they're not strong enough yet so they try to use kind of tension through here so relax the arms mm -hmm. just see what's happening with your check in with your arms and what's happening up there breathing and then arms are the two things I would check I like it I like it mm -hmm. um so anything else, so just any other general tips or information that you would give to people um, starting up running or just anything else that you want to say about running technique, injury prevention? Yeah. So obviously, like, uh, you know, I always tell everybody, you know, physiotherapy, like some people say, I tried physio and it didn't work. Well, physio is not like 
taking Advil, right? Like it's not one treatment modality. And because um, your friend tried this for this injury, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you because you're your own person with your own history of perhaps surgeries or no surgeries or, you know, lacking mobility in one joint versus someone else. So everybody is different. Every person is different. So every injury is different. And so we approach that injury on an individual basis, as much as I've given general guidelines, my guidelines might change uh, a little bit for one specific person versus somebody else. Um, so, so making everything very general sometimes is, isn't good, but at least it gets some information out there for people because there are some general guidelines, but I, I don't want people to get discouraged and think like, well, none of that stuff worked for me. Well, maybe you need someone to have a specific look at, you as a whole right and how you move in what's your story yes um so that's important i think for people to understand that and um you know to 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 sort of reiterate again talking about pain because people are fearful of pain sometimes and 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 you shouldn't be and because you have uh you know i've had a disc herniation or i have arthritis in my knee great great you know you have a body part right that that has this, <laughs> that has a story and so you can become stronger in that area if you give it time and the proper steps to build towards that. If you want to run, I think almost everybody can run. There's very few people that I don't think once I've ever told someone you need to stop running. And so I think everyone can do it. It depends like what speed and how much and, and some people have true limitations, but um, I do think that everybody can do something uh, that is active. And if running is the thing they want to do, then I, I just try to get them there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's probably a perfect segue there to, to finish off with. Um, we are individuals and it's very hard to generalize what one person should be doing over the other without really digging into um, what's happening with you. What are the underlying causes of what you are doing? So if people wanted to get a more personalized assessment, prescription, treatment, that kind of stuff, um, what can they do to either reach out to you, uh, do telehealth or in person once uh, life is back to normal, what yeah. are some resources they can, how can they get a hold of you? So, so through, obviously, during this pandemic, we're socially distancing and, and not doing hands-on um, care or in-person care, but I am doing telehealth. So I've done, you know, this is my third week and I've had 18 appointments this week. So I do quite a bit uh, and it works quite well for mobility assessment and just kind of brainstorming with people or talking about, okay, what's bothering you? What movement is problematic? What could we switch it up with? So we can do telehealth. Um, my location of work is MedSport, so MedSport Ottawa, and that clinic is very close to the clinic. It's like a kilometer away from, uh, very close to CrossFit Closer. It's a kilometer away. And so they can uh, email me directly to book an appointment uh, if they want to do telehealth, and I can set up the appointment, or they can email or call the clinic. So those are ways to get in touch with me. And then when we get back to life, if they want me to look at them, uh, I mean, we are living now, but get back to more, more normal. Um, uh, I do do biomechanical running assessments and those are different than a physiotherapy assessment. So if somebody wanted me to look at the running biomechanics, they would book a running assessment. 
And if they wanted me to look more at something that's bothering them and an injury specific, then they would book just a regular physiotherapy assessment. They're both covered under physiotherapy because I'm a licensed physiotherapist doing the assessment. So, um, but the, the, the video analysis, like I videotape my runners on the treadmill and in nice weather, I videotape them outside as well. And I use the software to sort of, you know, uh, take pictures and take, I can measure angles and, and, you know, see how, how much they're doing this or that. And then I give them, I send them their videos and give them a, like a report card, like a little report of, <laughs> of what their running form looks like and what, what is it that they need to work on. And so... And um, yeah, it's, I, I've been, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And I've, I've had a lot of success with a lot of runners who couldn't run. And so it just makes me so happy to be able to get them back out there running. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I love it. I mean, we at the gym always talk about technique, 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 and mm -hmm. you know, getting an assessment and, and, and really tightening that up, I think is probably the best way to do so for running. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you uh, a ton for this. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a good deal of uh, value out of it because yes. I'm sure they're out there running. So you might as well <laughs> do it right. Yeah. Um, so if uh, if you guys you know want, you can reach out to Francine through MedSport. What's the what, what's the email address or website they should be getting? Uh, <laughs> MedSport Ottawa dot com maybe I don't know. <laughs> that's terrible um they can email me directly obviously but medsport yeah i think that's what it is if you just type in medsport ottawa why am i having a hard time finding There's medsport ottawa.com yeah that's terrible yeah. don't ask me for the phone number it's things like that i don't know <laughs> but i just work there <laughs> yeah we all we all know how to use the internet now so they that's should right that. <laughs> okay. so reach out uh, to francine uh via via email and you can book in to do telehealth uh, running assessments. Uh, but once again, thank you very much. If you guys want to post more questions at the bottom, I'm sure uh, we can get those to Francine. And once again, happy birthday. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Bye, Thanks guys. Again. Have a great day. Bye.